Leaders in the SBC are in a slump. They continue to back the wrong horse. The denunciation of racism turned into racial reconciliation, which turned into propping up black liberation theology, which turned into the embracing of critical race theory and Marxism. Oh, for one. The celebration of Martin Luther King has turned into the elevation of a man who, by all accounts, was an outright heretic, having denied the deity and resurrection of Christ, not to mention the inerrancy of Scripture and a plethora of other heresies. Now, if that wasn't enough, the history of King's personal life being more and more revealed as time goes on, and these guys knew about this history before they ever celebrated him. The history of King's personal life reveals a man who was not only an abuser of strong drink, but a serial adulterer and a sexual deviant in every sense of the word. There was nothing reverent about his personal conduct, and the way he treated women was absolutely barbaric. What's really interesting to me is you have guys like, well, let's not use any names. I'm not going to say the names who are screaming for a full-on egalitarianism, while at the same time extolling Martin Luther King Jr. as a hero of the faith. 0 for 2. Standing up for abused women in the SBC quickly turned out to be, they jumped on the hashtag MeToo movement, which is what they're doing. Watch these leaders, guys. They are following the culture. Standing up for, for abused women quickly turned out to be a ruse for feminism and quickly took on the renewal of the movement and push to ordain women in ministry. So you, now you have a, an element in the SBC that is for full-on egalitarianism without apology. Not the least of whom is pushing for this, the, the female hero in the SBC, Beth Moore. The ruse that evangelicals should be more sensitive to the plight of those struggling with homosexuality has now been exposed, finally, to be nothing more than a push for outright gay Christianity under the guise of same-sex attraction. That is over for 4, folks, in case you're counting. But it doesn't end there. Recently, the SBC has been making a concerted effort for its members to consider voting for the more liberal progressive party rather than the GOP candidate. It just so happens that this particular party, the Democratic Party, uh, their core platform would immediately impose restrictions on religious freedom. Why does that feel contradictory? Well, it's not contradictory. And that's because the SBC has a serious liberal component in its membership that is very consistent with the core platform of the Democratic Party, you see. So in time, she will falter once and for all. And the theological ignorance and apathy that has existed and been incubated and fostered in the SBC for so long in its membership and among her pastors will produce the inevitable fruit of full-on apostasy as she becomes one more dead Protestant church among the numerous dead churches that make up 
Protestant liberalism. Today is June 4th, and you are listening to episode 28 of the Reformed Rant. SBC has, for all intents and purposes, left her first love. And she has left her first love in preference for lies. For years now, the consumer model, the seeker-sensitive model, the seeker-friendly model, the emergent model, all these different competitors and versions of Christianity have wreaked havoc on the, let's just say, the intellectual muscle of the SBC. Uh, For years, pastors now have told their congregants, their members, that Doctrine isn't important, it doesn't matter, it just divides. Theology doesn't matter, it's really all about relationships. In fact, I was talking to someone over the weekend, and when I asked that person why they left uh, the, uh, the church that they uh, were in, it wasn't because of heresy. It wasn't because of immorality. It wasn't because of serious error. It wasn't because the church had stopped being a church. It was because the church that they were moving to was all about relationships. Well, the church, the Southern Baptist churches, most of them, many of them, I would say most of them, Uh, And this isn't for every Southern Baptist church, so please don't think I'm indicting every single SBC pastor an SBC church. I am a member in an SBC church that I do not think this is true of, and I do not think it applies to my pastors. But I do think it applies to probably the majority of Southern Baptist pastors. How, How large of a majority, I do not know. It's pointless to speculate, but a majority nonetheless, I think. And I could be wrong. This is just me speculating, me spitballing. But if you look at the condition of the SBC and you interact with, with people in some of these forums who are SBC members, some of the things they say, some of the things they write is... <laughs> it, it, it's mind-boggling to me that some people can be in the church for that long and think that badly. And it's all because theology doesn't matter. Doctrine isn't important. It only divides, and it's all about relationships. Well, gee whiz, what kind of relationship should you have with another Christian? Well, the minute you start to answer that question, theology matters, because you can't answer that question without doing theology. And I have news for you. 
you can't even claim that it's all about relationships without also doing theology because that actually is your theology, that really Christianity is all about relationships and that theology doesn't matter. That is in itself theology, and you think it matters. So, so for all intents and purposes, if you have been tempted to think this way, think about that for a second. You're doing theology to say it's not important to do theology, and you think it's important at the same time, to do what you're doing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. It's impossible to get away from doctrine. It's impossible to get away from doing theology. It's impossible to get away from doing philosophy. What it really comes down to is you're either going to do it well or you're going to stink at it. You're going to be lazy and apathetic and inconsistent and incoherent and wrong and quite possibly heretical in some of your views. So theology is incredibly important. Without theology, we don't even we can't even begin to talk about Christianity. We can't even begin to talk about relationships. All right. So back to back to the SBC. Lots of stuff going on uh, over the last few weeks and you know I'm uh, you know am I a John, Johnny come am I behind the eight ball on some of this news? Uh, yes, I am, and I am behind the eight ball on some of this news because, um, well, I have this thing called a full-time demanding job. Uh, my wife has a full-time demanding job. Thank God for that. <laughs> Thank God for both of us having full-time demanding jobs. So I can't just put my pencil down and walk away uh, after eight hours and completely be, be done with things, and so I fall behind. Nevertheless, uh, hopefully, um, I may share some perspectives on some of the things that are going on with you on, in my own thinking that uh, others may not have shared. So I still seek to be a blessing. This is not a news uh, podcast, so that's not why I'm, why I'm here. It is not why I do this. Um, I do it to stand up for the truth, to point out error as it's coming along to hopefully stop the mouth of critics and hopefully uh, help you think a little bit better about some of the things that you see happening around you um, and to let you know that if you think like we do over here, um, well, you're not alone. There's, there's more of us out there than you think. There isn't a ton, but there's more than you think. And we are scattered across the globe as God has willed it to be. God has scattered us across the planet. He has not allowed all those who love him and are in love with the truth to congregate in just one location and stay there. Because think about that for a second. Imagine such a place that would be like heaven on earth, right? This utopia where you have a state, a geographical state, if you will, with boundaries that is filled with nothing but God-loving, truth-seeking, spirit-filled Christians. How amazing would that be? But you see, that's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to be on mission. God's plan is for us to be on message to take the, the message, which is our mission, out to this world and to proclaim it wherever we might find ourselves, wherever God has located us and situated us in the world. Uh, 
it is it can get discouraging it can get frustrating uh, in fact, I experienced serious frustration myself. I may talk about that a little later. Uh, but this week in a uh, comment box, which really, I've, if, if you follow me on Twitter or you, you notice that I haven't tweeted out much in, uh, <laughs> to speak of in a very long time, it's because I have, for all intents and purposes, given up Twitter. And what I need to do is give up these ridiculous com boxes because I simply do not possess the talent, the skill, or the sanctification to maintain my composure when I'm talking to people who I perceive as a threat to the truth of the gospel. And in, in many cases, they are really an actual threat. Sometimes, maybe not so much. Maybe I'm the idiot who is, um, who is wrong and maybe taking too harsh of a position. But this week, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think I was, was pretty blunt, pretty direct, and maybe even a little harsh in... Uh, my comments, but um, that said, I was at least being harsh to someone who I consider to be an enemy of conservative Christian values and basic Christian beliefs in the Christian church, uh, a full-on egalitarian who is pushing for uh, feminism in the churches, who is rejecting God's order of male leadership in the home and the church. And that is not a uh, small error. It is a serious error, and people like him ought to be dealt with in his church. Well, the thing that's interesting to me in uh, in that experience is the 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 uh, nastiness uh, of those who um, are every. I mean, they are keeping really good pace with my own harshness in terms of of commenting about this man's views, but now I've been accused of or profiled as being someone who uh, abuses his wife. And all of this, all these comments out there on Twitter being made by people who do not know me, have never met me, merely based on comments I made in a comic. Now, I will say this. I did poke... Sometimes when I'm having these kind of conversations with folks, I will poke them in the eye. And I did, I did use language that would, would poke a feminist in the eye. Like, it, if you could think of one thing to say to a woman who was feminist in her ideology, who has rejected the biblical idea of submission and adopted and embraced the modern American idea of what it is to be a woman and rejected God's idea, what could you say to her to metaphorically poke her in the eye? Or even a male who's uh, embracing and propagating this kind of nonsense. Well, you could say that uh, their men need to put them in their place. Their husbands need to put their, these wives in their place. If you want to throw gasoline on a fire, say that to a modern American woman who is embracing feminism, a woman who could care less about the Bible's teachings on submission. Say that, and you will send them off into a tizzy. And I said that, and wow, um, the tizzy is uh, tizzier than I could have ever imagined. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of provoking and poking in the eye, and maybe 
Maybe I should not have done that, uh, but I did, and wow, the true colors are coming out. I uh, do think that this movement is a significant threat. It's all over the SBC, and it's one of the things I'm going to be talking about today on the rant as I move around. This is a different sort of a rant. I've got a few topics that I want to just move through and just kind of uh, get it out there and vent a little bit. So maybe a, a true rant, if you will, as opposed to just one topic and and spending 40 minutes or so on one on one topic. So we, we saw an article come out uh, earlier, a news story come out, not an article, a news story come uh, came out this week about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and how at one particular incident he laughed as a pastor friend raped a woman in a hotel and that he himself had affairs with at least uh, 40 women and was involved with orgies and uh, at least, ha according to the records, uh, engaged a prostitute at one point. And this is a man who uh, guys like Matt Chandler and Russell Moore uh, just over the last couple of years have not been able to shut up talking about uh, all of his virtues and how wonderful he was. Now, the civil rights movement aside, I'm not talking uh, about Martin Luther King Jr. in the context of any kind of political or social activities. I, that is not my point. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Our heroes, our heroes, are heroes of faith, heroes of godliness, heroes of virtue, true virtue, godly virtues, okay? Not um, Gandhi or other folks who are out there achieving things in the culture with God-hating goggles on, okay? Jesus said you were either for me or you are against me. You either love God or you hate him, okay? Now, if you hate God, I'm not going to elevate you as an example to be followed in any way, shape, or form. Because the motivation for your behavior, for the things that you do, isn't to glorify God. So when Martin Luther King Jr. engaged in his civil rights activities, and for all the earthly good that did, it, his motivation was not morally pure. Why? Because it did not have at its core heartbeat the glory of God. You see, only people who are in the new covenant and filled with the Spirit who have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit can engage in behavior with the, the core motivation being to glorify God. That's part of what it means to be born again. It's part of what it means to be regenerated. Right Now, the Apostle Paul 
tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But actually, I wrote to you, church at Corinth, not to associate, not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to eat, not even to eat with such a person. Okay. And what does the SBC do with the person who fits that description perfectly? For the sake of expediency, for the sake of image, for the sake of keeping up with the culture and allowing the culture to dictate its moral values, the SBC and her leadership decide to celebrate this man. When Paul says, don't even associate with this person. Because he claims to be a believer, but he's a fornicator, and he's a drunkard, and he's a reviler, and a swindler, participating in orgies, a serial adulterer. And we extol him. We go to the conference and celebrate him. And if you were there, and you went to the conference, and you celebrated him, and people believe that you, you hold him in high esteem, and they know you went to the conference, then you need to repent. And you need to confess to the people that know you went to the conference holding Martin Luther King Jr. up as some example to be followed. You need to let them know that you were wrong. It should have never happened. It was a bad idea. Misplaced judgment. Wrong motivations. And we'll never do it again. That's what ought to happen. So guys like Chandler and Russell Moore and uh, Wade Burleson and all these guys who just can't stop slobbering over Martin Luther King Jr. are now left with these new revelations with egg all over their face. And the problem here, guys, is that this is not just embarrassing for the SBC. This is embarrassing for the church. This goes to the integrity of our message. How in the world can the culture take us seriously when we elevate people like this? We are no different from the culture. Is it any wonder that they look at us and think we're nothing more than a political entity? jockeying for power along with every other political entity and movement and group in this culture. I'm not surprised. Shifting gears from the Martin Luther King debacle and embarrassment, we come to Beth Moore and her rant against male leadership and Finally, Al Mohler coming over to jump in and, and get involved and saying something about this. Now, uh, I'm going to say this about Dr. Mohler. I am not interested in uh, trashing 
Al Mohler. Uh, he has made uh, a far more significant contribution to the church over the history of his life than I will ever make. Um, he's more gifted than I. He's better educated than I. He is more talented than I am. God has put him in a position of uh, influence uh, where he can do tremendous good. All of that said, you we do have to acknowledge that Dr. Moeller is late to the party, that he has sat over there at Southern Evangelical Seminary for the last two or three or four or five years and just watched this happen. So despite the fact that Dr. Moeller has made great contributions to the body of Christ, the last several years he has he has engaged in very disappointing behavior. And I, I'm not going to begin to speculate on why he has been silent. I keep thinking about what he said to Phil Johnson at the, the, the Shepherds Conference um, when he said to Phil, I'm just not going to do it your way. And I still can't help but think that, well, you know, no, Dr. Muller, you're not going to do it Phil's way. You're not going to do it anyway. You're just going to sit there and be quiet and watch this stuff happen and allow it to gain momentum. And if you look at these movements in the Southern Baptist Convention, it's impossible for anybody in Al Muller's position to watch this go on and not see the unified movements of these groups. You have black liberation theology proponents, socialists and Marxists coming from the black churches. That's a fact. Okay. You have uh, the gay Christianity movement coming in with Sam Alberry and Revoice and all of these, these folks. You have the feminists coming in and making their move. And now you have the political liberals coming in and, and, and attend, with Russell Moore and trying to get the SBC to shift her voting block and su support the, the Liberal Party in D.C. And all of these movements have been acting in concert with one another. And it is impossible for anyone who is watching this with any kind of... of of interest at all to, to not see it. It's impossible to not see it. So Al Mohler has watched this happen. He has watched Beth Moore, and he has watched guys like Russell Moore and J.D. Greer come in and prop her up in her stupidity and heresy. And that's, that's the combination of Beth Moore the heresy with, with the visions and the God talking to her and the stupidity of, of God telling her to brush people's hair, strange men's hair at the airport. I, I can't help but think of R.C. Sproul's question, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with anybody that would listen to Beth Moore say that and still think it's a good idea to read her books? or listen to her, her talks. What's wrong with your brain? Did it stop working? Who would... What kind of a person but some blind, gullible, 
moron. Listen to some woman say, God told me to brush your hair and then turn around and promote her or defend her. Wouldn't anyone who gives a hoot, <laughs> a hoot about their own intellectual credibility and their own self-worth run as fast as they could from such nonsense? I mean, why doesn't that immediately say, you know what, this woman is a kook. She is gone off the deep end. I'm done. No, she can say the most insane, silly, stupid things, and these mindless dopes still follow her like she's a prophetess or something sent from God. That's, you don't have to, when you look at the church, you look at the SBC. You don't have to look any further than Beth Moore's popularity to recognize something's wrong with the church. When people like her can, can make the kind of living she makes propagating the kind of stupidity and displaying the kind of stupidity that she displays on a regular basis, when she can get away with that and... and be a multimillionaire. You look no further than that to say something is terribly wrong with the people in our membership. Terribly wrong. It's embarrassing. And see, this is where this is partly where where I have to be careful because I I blame this on those pastors who continue to prop her up. And look, J.D. Greer has done it. Russell Moore has done it. Now, these guys are smart guys. Do you think they know? Do you think J.D. Greer really believes that God told Beth Moore to go brush a strange man's hair at the airport or Russell Moore? Do you think they really, honestly, truly believe that? No, they don't. They don't. They're not that stupid. So then why do they prop her up? Good question. If it isn't because they really truly believe her stories, it must be for some other reason. What might that reason be? Figure it out. From here we move to shifting gears to David Platt praying for Donald Trump. Oh my gosh. So, the Bible says that Christians should pray for their leaders and all of those in authority so that we might lead a peaceful life, living quietly in all godliness. Donald Trump shows up at David Platt's church this, this past weekend, and David Platt prays for the President of the United States, the King, for all intents and purposes, which is what the Bible says he should do. Now, I didn't listen to the prayer. I don't know. I've heard people criticize the actual words of the prayer of... Uh, 
that's not my point here. My point is that Platt's church seemed to take offense. And for sure, for sure, a number of folks took offense to Platt's praying for Trump. See, even my Doberman is upset about this. It is beyond me how anyone could be a believer in Christ and, and engaging the scriptures the way they should be and feel this way, unless they're a new believer. You give me someone who's been around the church 10, 20 years and they feel this way about Platt praying for Trump, I'm going to tell you that you've got somebody who just isn't engaging the Scripture because those two things don't go together. Anyone engaging the Scripture recognizes that we should pray for our leaders and that people would be upset that he did so is mind-boggling. Now, now, on the flip side of this, you know, yeah, we are talking about our president who, who turned around and is now saying uh, that he would like for other nations to embrace the American values of pro-LGBTQ, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever. And this is being exported to other countries. This is a problem. When, when Americans export their values to other cultures. Now, we have this nasty habit of doing this where we want to impose on other societies our moral values and and we come at it in the most arrogant way you could possibly think of it's one thing to send a missionary into a, a culture to preach the gospel of jesus christ that in, includes the fact that we're under the judgment of god because we've broken his law so there's law involved in that preaching and that we are lawbreakers. It's another thing to treat people in another society or culture uh, as less than or inferior to us and their values as inferior to our values just because they're different. And I'll give you an example. We had a discussion in Sunday school recently regarding uh, arranged marriages. And people in our culture think that's immoral. And they look down on the practice and they think it's inhuman and it, it, it's insulting and yada, yada, yada. It isn't. How dare you? Who do you think you are? You've embraced a custom or adopted a custom and you want to impose that custom on other people when God doesn't impose this custom on other people. You see, this is what some cultures mean when they look at Americans and say you're extremely arrogant and I cannot disagree with them when it comes to this subject. We are. And it's a, it's a problem that we need to face. And any, at, any, at any rate, David Platt should have prayed for Donald Trump. And no, Donald Trump is not a Christian. There's nothing Christian about him. Uh, he is a pagan king, but he is a king nonetheless. And as a king, uh, so to speak, he is the minister of God, and he deserves and God demands that we submit to him uh, and that we honor 
him as, as the king. All right, shift gears. Another interesting article came out by Jared Wilson regarding George Whitfield and George Whitfield's salvation because George Whitfield was a slave owner. So we come back to this issue of slavery. Um, gosh, guys, if you do not stop allowing the culture to set and establish and fix the moral code and then demand that we submit to that moral code, Christianity will collapse. It will collapse. Philemon was a slave owner that Paul never rebuked for being a slave owner. In fact, if you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you will find the practice of slavery both in the ancient Near East and the Greco-Roman world. Now, I understand the slavery in that world and the Atlantic slave trade had differences. There were some differences. But if you think for one minute that ancient Greco-Roman slavery and ancient Near East slavery wasn't just as problematic and oppressive in some cases and abusive as the Atlantic slave trade, you've lost your ever-loving mind. You really have. You, it, that just indicates that you are completely and totally uninformed about the history of slavery in the world, in the ancient Near East, in the Greco-Roman world, in the Mediterranean world, back in the, the, the day of the New Testament, apostles and the early church, completely and totally. And, and, and not only that, just so everybody knows, there isn't, to my knowledge, a race on the planet that isn't guilty of abusive slave owning. Yeah, Americans were, some Americans, many Americans were abusive slave owners, evil, wicked tyrants that abused their slaves. Some were not. Some were slave owners, and they were kind. They were good to those under their care, under their charge. They were good to them. They treated them well. The New Testament commands masters to do exactly that. does not command masters to free their slaves. That was an option. That was a possibility. Paul could have written that. But for some reason, we think that in modern times, we are more enlightened than those who are writing the revelation of Scripture itself. And that somehow our moral values are superior to God's morality, which is what we see being revealed in Scripture. And that Jared Wilson would celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. and elevate him to a place of prominence, a, an example for all of us to follow, an exemplary leader uh, that we should all aspire to be like. That he would do that and then call into question George Whitfield's salvation, one of the greatest evangelists, if not the greatest evangelist, whose feet has ever walked on the American continent. 
is laughable. It does nothing to hurt George Whitfield, thank God. Does absolutely nothing to hurt George Whitfield and everything under the sun to serve as an embarrassment to Jared Wilson's intellect. A an utter embarrassment to how he thinks. Not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, Mr. Wilson. Now, one final comment about this rant. People will say you can affirm egalitarianism, you can affirm critical race theory, you can vote for Democrats, you can be for same-sex attraction and think that it is not sinful, and, and you can uh, question George Whitfield's salvation. You can do all these things and still affirm Scripture. And as long as you affirm Scripture, you're okay. Well... Not really, you see. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that there would be many who would come to him in the last day and they would, with their mouths, affirm his lordship. They would even affirm his word. They just didn't do it, you see. So it has to affirm scripture in the historic orthodox sense is to hear it. It is to hear Scripture, you see. And to hear Scripture in the orthodox sense, in the biblical sense, to truly hear, to have ears to hear, means to embrace it, to receive it, to submit to it, to be a doer of it. Okay? Now, I think what's going to happen over the next 10 to 15 years in the SBC is Scripture, the view of Scripture is going to bend and eventually break. These people don't believe it anyhow. They're just not telling you they don't believe it because there's still too many conservatives that, that would just really cause an outrage. But what's going to happen, just like the liberals say, Paul's comments about homosexuality are not God's views. They are actually the views of Paul who was conditioned by the culture, by his Judaism. That, but it's not really the Word of God. This is going to, to move into the Southern Baptist Convention. They're going to begin to embrace these kinds of things. They will say that the Bible is the Word of God, but that not every part of it necessarily is the Word of God. So you can say that the Bible, for the most part, is the Word of God, but there are certain components of it that have the fingerprint and work of men who were imperfect and uh, backwards and not as sophisticated, not as informed and enlightened as we are. And they wrote and injected some of their own selves, their own prejudices and biases and so forth in the text. And that's, that's what you get when you see these cautions against, uh, say, homosexuality and so forth. This is coming to a church near you in the SBC. And there are already a number of churches who are still in the SBC who tongue-in-cheek don't say it out loud, but they practice it every Sunday and Wednesday, week in and week out. If you want to be a good apologist, if you want to be a good theologian, 
as a Christian. If you want to be a believer who is faithful to God, you absolutely positively have to get your arms around the nature of Scripture. If you don't do that, you will find yourself in big trouble going forward. You have to find a way to equip yourself, inform yourself, grapple with the arguments, look at the arguments, examine the arguments and the attacks against Scripture, and be able to stand firm on your belief that the Scriptures that we have, Genesis through Revelation, the Bible, is actually God speaking to us. Its contents are the acts of God revealed across history, and its words are the revelation of God coming to us as the Holy Spirit moved those authors to write those things down. This is critical for the health of your spiritual condition and for the health of the church, for the health of Christianity. It all comes back to the Bible. All of it. All right. Um, if you're listening to the Reformed Rant on the Anchor app, you can leave comments uh, in the app itself. Uh, you can actually even, I think, record, leave messages and so forth. Uh, provide some feedback. Tell us what you think. If not, and you want to contact us, then go to Reformed Reasons, uh, and you can reach out to us there. You can also find us on Facebook in uh, the, fa in, in the what, Reformation Charlotte, uh, there's a couple of pages, a couple of Facebook groups in there called Reformation Charlotte. I can't remember exactly what the differences are, but if you go to Reformation Charlotte on Facebook and you ask to join, uh, we can be reached there. We can be reached on our blog at reformedreasons.com. God bless you. Keep the faith. Stay in the fight. Don't get discouraged. Right? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com